Please open in your scriptures, the Bible, to the book of Exodus. Exodus is found at the beginning of the Bible in, in what is called the Old Testament. It's the second book of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, if you start uh, at the beginning. And in just a moment, I'm going to read to you from Exodus chapter 8. We're resuming our series from the book of Exodus, which we began uh, last, uh, probably last January or February. We took a break during the summer months uh, and spent some time in the book of Psalms. But we resumed last week. Dave got us going again uh, with his excellent message, The River of Blood from Exodus 7. And my title's not quite as uh, amazing as Dave's. But God's word is uh, Exodus chapter 8. I'm going to be reading the whole chapter as we continue to read about the plagues that came upon Egypt in their refusal to let God's people go. This is God's word. May he give us the ability to listen carefully and receive from him today. Exodus chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Aaron, Moses, say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else if you will not let my people go. Behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into the servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Lord, as we consider this ancient story, true story, from your word, we are first thankful that you have preserved it so that we may not only read it and listen to it, 
but hear you address us from it. We are also humbled and thankful, Lord, that the one of whom we read, the Lord, is amongst us as well this morning through the person of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray and ask now for your mercy and your grace as we consider from Exodus 8, the purpose for the plagues and the promise, Lord, of your salvation for all who turn to you that they may be saved. Hear our prayers, Lord, and speak, Lord, a better word than we may even speak to ourselves today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm sure in your life and in mine, when we think back to our days of junior high, what in my world was called middle school, there were good moments, even celebratory moments, that to which I should be thankful for. But as I think about my middle school years, few of those moments seem to rise to the surface. I hope for the kids who are listening, you can identify with with this experience. If not, um, I'll try harder next week to be a little more clear. But I was a sixth grader in what was a very large middle school, the Radnor Middle School. This was not as comfortable as my elementary school, Ithan Elementary School, buildings which are still there today. And while in elementary school, I had made a reputation for someone who could both sing and act. So I had had leading roles in musicals like HMS Pinafore, and I forget what the other musical was in elementary school. So Mrs. Keenan, who heard about me as a sixth grader, asked me to do something that upon further review, I probably should have said no. She said, Bauer, would you sing a solo at the winter concert? Sure, I've done that before. Uh, it's a It's a classic hymn or song called, I Wander As I Wander. And I'd like you to sing it as a soprano. A soprano. Yes, you have a soprano voice and you can do it. Now, just stamp naive. A sixth grader walking the halls of middle school where everyone is bigger than you. And you are just now emerging into young adolescence, singing a solo, let alone a solo as a soprano when you're a boy, does not set you up for the sixth grade dance later that year. Believe me. Well, the night of the concert came. We had had many rehearsals. I had never sung it in front of my peers, only with Mrs. Keenan in her music room with her big piano. And... According to the experts, I crushed it. I did really well. I got, I got like the equivalent of a standing O. 
it was a packed gymnasium. Mr. Mitchell, who was a force of nature, my principal, who I was absolutely petrified of, came right up to me afterwards with my parents there in that big body and deep voice and, and addressed me like I was his son, that that was the greatest oration, is that what you call it, of I wander as I wander in the history of winter festivals at Radnor Middle School. I felt pretty good until the following Friday when we had to then perform it in front of the student body. There were no adults at that performance except the teachers. And I was going to be singing in front of my peers, and I was absolutely petrified. I mean petrified. If you know anything about singing, and I don't know a lot, but the vocalists will tell you, if you're afraid, you lose your pitch. So as I reach that note in the song where you got to hit it, you know, like the equivalent of like a figure skating, whatever that's called, spin Lutzel with a twist, and I sucked in my breath to nail it, my voice cracked and cracked again and cracked three times. It sounded horrible. I got the appropriate golf clap. Mrs. Keenan looked at me like, what happened to you? And I was embarrassed. As I walked the halls later that day and that week, my peers and what I thought were my friends began to sing my song back to me. But with that, as I walked down the hall, I wonder as I wonder. And it stalked me for what I thought was an eternity in middle school. I was humiliated. And that concert became, if you'll allow this, a plague in my life. Suffice to say that when she came back 7th grade and 8th grade and said, would you sing a solo? I would only sing and it would be as a baritone. I don't think I did many solos in middle school, nor the rest of my music career. As we look at the plagues that the Lord levels against Egypt, particularly the second, the third, and the fourth plague, although serious because they're expressions of God's judgment against Pharaoh and Egypt for keeping what does not belong to them, God's people as their slaves, but also as judgment against their religious gods, all of which derive from nature, including the frogs and the gnats and the flies. We observe that In their experience of the plagues, the Egyptians are both annoyed, humiliated, and humbled by each of these plagues. Which positions us then to ask the question, doesn't it? As those who read the scripture and desire to not only know what it says... But in hearing what it says, respond to the Lord. What was the Lord accomplishing through 
the plagues, and specifically, which plague points you and me to my need for Christ today? The frogs that were annoying, the gnats that were humiliating, or the flies that were humbling. Someone once said, a famous heavyweight boxer once said, everybody's got plans until they get hit. Pharaoh had plans. He had big plans for himself, big plans for Egypt, the greatest national leader on the planet at this time. And his plans included the continued enslavement of God's people until he got hit. Pharaoh is about to get hit, if you will, by God himself. And in response to Pharaoh's hard heart and his refusal to heed the word of the Lord, according to Moses, and let God's people go, God would now strike Pharaoh and the Egyptians. For at the burning bush, you remember, the Lord said to Moses, chapter 3, verse 7, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it, after that, he will let you go. So today's message is to introduce and answer the question, what is the purpose of the plagues according to the scriptures, according to the words of Moses as he recorded Exodus for us? And these ten plagues, of which we'll look at three today, were clearly precision strikes from the Lord himself directed against Pharaoh, the Egyptians, and their false gods. Last week, Dave introduced us to the first of these judgments, the Nile River turning into blood. Well, Pharaoh and Egypt is about to get hit with three more because Pharaoh's plans will have to change, won't they? And he will change his plans. And here are my three points. As God makes judgments in Egypt. And God makes distinctions in the land of Goshen. Pointing readers today to their ultimate deliverance and ours. The purpose of the plagues in Exodus is to demonstrate that the Lord, the God of the Israelites, is supreme and that he alone, he alone can save you and me. Let's look at God's judgments in Egypt as we begin. It has been seven days, according to the concluding verse of chapter 7, Seven days, beginning in verse 25, since the river flowed with blood and the ponds and the air stunk with the smell of dead fish. Then it says, verse 1, Moses went back to Pharaoh and he said to him, this is what the Lord says, verse 1, let my people go so that they may worship me. 
What God was demanding was nothing less than Pharaoh's unconditional release of his people, the Israelites, the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whom the Lord claimed for himself. So rather than slaving away for Pharaoh, Moses declared to Pharaoh they needed to be freed to serve him for his glory, for his purposes. So why do we call them plagues? Dave asked that question. He answered them, they're signs. They they point to something. The word plagues is used in the passage we read this morning. In In introducing us to the frogs... The Lord says in verse 2, if you refuse to let them go, I will plague, the word in Hebrew is nadab, I believe, which means plague in Hebrew. I will plague your whole country with frogs. The Nile will teem with frogs. In other words, God is specifically referring to a disaster that will come to Egypt in judgment for their refusal to let God's people go. But in spite of the warning, God's demand is met with Pharaoh's usual response, which was no response at all, but clearly resulted in him not letting the people go. And so for his sin of rebellion to the words of Moses... The Lord tells Aaron through Moses, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams, the canals, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. And the frogs came, didn't they? They came from everywhere. And they hopped into everything. From kneading bowls in the kitchen to apparently hot, dry ovens if not every nook and cranny of Egyptian life. The frogs, verse 6, covered the land. If there's humor in the plague, scholars suggest the plague of the frogs is it. Because frogs are not particularly dangerous. Isn't that good news? I, I, I like frogs, even though they're slimy and greasy and... Uh, I. And the fact that there were frogs in Egypt, even in these unusual places, maybe maybe the kids loved it. Kids, wouldn't you enjoy, your parents wouldn't, but wouldn't you enjoy if a frog was hopping around in your house this afternoon? I think you would. If a frog jumped up on your kitchen table while you were eating lunch. Or if when you pulled back your blanket or fluffed your pillows, a frog leapt out. Wouldn't that be fun? Your parents would be horrified. But I think if you're young, you would say, I like this new game. Who let the frogs in? In other words, these frogs were an annoyance to people. But they pointed, didn't they, to the purpose of God sending them. Now, God had a more serious purpose, didn't he, than simply annoying the Egyptians. In fact, for each of the plagues, 
God is sending his judgment on one of the deities of the Egyptian religious pantheon. There was a goddess in Egypt who was pictured with the head and often the body of a frog. And so the frog was sacred in Egypt. It could not be killed. And consequently, there would be nothing the Egyptians could do, even with this scourge of frogs, because this was the multiplication of the symbol of one of their goddesses. And yet, no doubt, they were forced to hate the very symbols of their worship as the frogs annoyed them in daily life. What was the Lord accomplishing through the plagues? Well, he was, he was dethroning one of the deities of Egypt, creating an annoyance so they would come to loathe it, and with the hope that they would repent and humble themselves and submit and worship Yahweh because the Egyptians relied on the frog goddess, as does every person who replaces God with anything or anyone. And so the question for this first plague For the Christian, perhaps, has the Lord allowed annoyances in your life? He has in mine. Not to slough them off and bite your lower lip and hope for a better day. But to perhaps remind you that there's a connection between what we experience in daily life And the provision of a Savior who has come to restore our trust in Him and find in Him and not some other thing, even a good thing, the life we want. That's the first plague, an annoyance, if not a humorous one, the plague of frogs. The second plague... Plague of gnats. Scholars disagree whether it's literally gnats or lice to keep it above board. We'll keep it as gnats, but apparently the Hebrews, not clear. But in the plague of the gnats, beginning in verse 16, these gnats were not just annoying, we're told, but they were painful as they feasted on the flesh of of humanity and livestock. And here we're introduced... Again, to the magicians, these practitioners of the, the dark arts, which kept court with Pharaoh. They were, they were part of his royal advisors. And yet we're told about the magicians that, that they themselves could not undo the plague. In other words, they themselves cannot help Pharaoh with the plague. In fact, they say at one point that this plague, this plague of the 
gnats is due to the finger of God. Verse 19, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is God's finger. The magicians finally get it when they say, this must be the Lord. They tried their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. They are on Pharaoh's payroll to reproduce these these supernatural events, and they failed. How humiliating that must be that these gifted, schooled, intelligent, influential advisors to the most powerful man on the earth are not only powerless to do anything, but are now useless to the one they serve. When I was humiliated in middle school, I wasn't bullied. I was taunted. I was teased. Prior to my voice cracking, I was pretty proud of my artistic achievements. I liked being the star of the elementary school musicals. I liked being given first or second chair to sing solos. I liked the attention it gave me with principals and certain teachers. I remember riding on the bus one day and Susie, who was a great swimmer, I think she tried out for the Olympic team in her day, when they announced a role for the play that her boyfriend, Dan, was trying to get, and I got the role, and I was sitting in front of her. She was in the back. She must have known I was there. She said, you know what? That that Bauer Evans, he always gets the roles in these plays. I'm sick of it. Until I was humiliated. Until my voice cracked, and now I had sort of a persona non grata in the eyes of them. You know, the I wander as I wander whose voice cracks. I didn't realize that God allowed that plague in adolescence to prepare me for the hearing of the gospel. Because the idol that I worshipped, the false deity that an educated 6th, 7th, 8th grader was cut from, was I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be cool. I wanted the attention of both teachers and my peers. And it was taken away from me in a sense. And I was devastated. God, God was at work in the humiliation of that moment to prepare me for my first hearing of the gospel when I'd be in high school. Now, this is much more significant. This is an entire nation being humbled. But how many Christians today who are called to take up their cross and follow Jesus to the hill of Calvary for his glory view humiliation as actually anti-gospel? The opposite of God's purposes. The work of the enemy. Where it might be, in fact, your sanctification. That it reveals. It could reveal that a good thing, an important thing, has become too big of a thing. And now, faced with its loss or its, the reputation associated with it diminished or the, or the capacity that the 
the reputation gave you. The hopelessness and the joylessness that pours out calls to your attention. You need a savior from the plague of the gnats. Oh, there's still gnats today. We just need God's grace to recognize them, don't we? And sometimes when we're humbled through a humiliating moment, it's right there. But perhaps the most ironic and potent of the plagues on belaboringness, so when we get to the end, we say, yes, Lord, I believe, is the flies, the swarm of flies, which begins in verse 20. The fourth plague, the Lord says to Moses, after having addressed Pharaoh, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with, there it is, swarms of flies and also on the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. You know, I found that one fly for me can ruin everything. We're sitting down to dinner. And now I'm not talking about like a mosquito, you know, that, that can be a problem. I'm talking about those flies, you know, that have landed in certain things and there they are flying around your meal. That can ruin everything for me. What are you doing on my hamburger? What are you doing on her plate of salad? One fly. You know, those, those big flies with the big eye. Are you with me? Work with me here. I'm not an expert in insects, but one fly can ruin an entire meal. Swarms of flies. Swarms of flies means when the Egyptian opened their mouth, flies were flying in. Swarms of flies meant when the Egyptians went to bed, flies were flying around. Swarms of flies mean when they went to work, there were more flies. Flies were everywhere. Thank God for the environmental exterminator we use. It kills the flies, right, Dave? Because if we had a fly right now flying in here, you'd probably be distracted by it. They had swarms of flies. What possibly could be the purpose of swarms of flies brought in by the east wind, I guess, uh, for the most powerful nation on the earth? God took something that is seemingly insignificant and completely humbled them, didn't he? A fly. He took a fly and humbled Pharaoh. He took a fly. And flies and humbled Egypt. He took a fly and completely humbled. Kids, I don't know if this is true for you. But the hardest lesson for me to learn is not how to kill a fly. I'm pretty good at killing flies. The hardest lesson for me to learn 
is when I don't control the flies in my life. And I have to start putting my trust back in Jesus again. Let me say that again. I feel good about flies when I got the fly swatter. And I'm going to get them. But if I had a swarm of flies, I don't think there's enough fly swatters and arms in my life, kids, for me to get them all. And so they're still there. And the lack of control humbles me, even though flies are seemingly powerless. And it's a hard lesson to learn that God still calls me to obey him even when I don't control things like that. Why? Because I'm called to worship the one who is in control. Amen? I'm called to worship the one who is supreme and sovereign over all the flies. I'm called to worship him and then turn to him and say, Lord, the purpose of this plague, difficult as it may be, is to teach me not to trust in myself, but to humbly, respectfully, painfully surrender to you and really walk out the song that Jim had us sing. My life is an offering. Even when there's flies. So question. What was the Lord accomplishing through the plagues? Well, for Egypt, God was judging the Egyptians for their harsh treatment of the Hebrews and their refusal to let them go. And he was striking down the false deities that were created from nature for the Egyptian religions and the flies again were another one of those false gods that they put their hope in. But ultimately, he was demonstrating to them that the Lord, the God of the Israelites, is the sovereign and supreme God and that they must humble themselves before him in order to be saved. And just to make it clear so that the lesson would not be lost on them, point number two is God makes a division, verse 23, between the Egyptians and God's people. God makes a distinction in the land of Goshen, a land that was located in the very heart of Egypt. The Lord made, I stole this, I absolutely stole this humorous line. The Lord made a no-fly zone. It's pretty good, isn't it? Oh, it was hysterical when I heard that. In Goshen. So imagine we were living in a no-fly zone, but it wasn't flies. It was automobiles. People take a lot of pride in their automobiles, right? Both how they run and what they look like. My neighbors were washing their automobiles yesterday. Great day to wash your automobiles. When somebody gets a new car, a used car, a leased car, we all go out and go out and say, how does it perform? Can I take a test drive? And, oh, this is a beautiful car. And, you know, when you drive our cars, you just say, will this get me home safely? Imagine, I don't believe this would ever happen, but imagine that Massachusetts had a plague and it had all the cars in Massachusetts go kaput. The good ones and the bad ones. But that Rhode Island 
the ocean state, all their cars were running sweet. Here, every car, every one, it's the Lord's doing, kaput. The new ones and the Evanses. Rhode Island, the junkers and the new ones running sweet. Would that get your attention? Yeah, would WCVB, the news leader, send a helicopter to Rhode Island to find out what's going on? You better believe it. Why would God do that with flies, with frogs, and with gnats, and with all of these plagues? Why would he... Our culture, when it comes to God making distinctions, hates that. Right? The God of the culture says he needs to be inclusive of everyone and everything. If they even acknowledge God exists, or if it's a God not a goddess or an it or whatever we do with that. When God makes distinctions and divisions and people get angry, but then when that same person walks down into the nursery to get their children, oh, you better believe they're making distinctions between their kid and other kids. When I back into their car, believe me, they make a distinction between their car and all the other cars. When I do just about anything that violates the distinctiveness of their, they make distinctions. When God makes a distinction here, we as the people of God should say, yes, yes. And why? What is the purpose of this distinction? Has Israel somehow merited it? That they keep their sacrifices a little better? Are they just more religious than the Egyptians? No, He puts a division between, note the language, my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so because God remembers his covenant love to his people and keeps his promises even though they break their promises to him often. The Lord makes distinctions between his people because he's protecting and saving them and making a miraculously loud statement that at the heart of the Exodus story is a story of God rescuing people, not because they deserve it, but because of his steadfast love. Somebody say amen. The distinction God makes in the midst of the plagues is solely informed By his covenant promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Which expresses his love for his people. God makes distinctions. You know one of the distinctions he makes in our lives who believe in Christ. And have repented of our sins and put our faith in him and continue to say to him, you, Lord, you, Lord, your will, not mine, help me now to walk by faith today, is he promises to not treat us as our sins deserve. Amen? He promises to remember that his relationship with us is one of mercy. Mercies that are new every day, Lamentations 3. A relationship that's rooted in grace in which we stand, Romans 5. That the judgment due me and you for not keeping, if you will, covenant with God has been satisfied by Jesus' death on the cross, amen? 
And he reigns today, keeping covenant, making distinction, showering mercy and grace. So if we want to make a distinction today, let's make a distinction using the gospel and the gospel's gracious way. That we receive Jesus by faith and not by works. That this salvation from A to Z is for his glory and not our own. You see, really, the message to Pharaoh is the message to Israel, and it's the message to us today, and we conclude with our final point. We must all turn away from Pharaoh-like pride. We must renounce any and all, any and all, inclinations towards independence and self-importance and humble ourselves under the gracious hand of Christ so that this ancient story, the story of, of Israel's salvation, the story of their deliverance from captivity into a relationship with him, is the story of our rescue ultimately fulfilled through the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, the story we have to tell is our deliverance from sin's captivity and Satan's oppressive dominion. All because of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father's will to sacrifice Him on the cross and raise Him triumphantly again so that today we can celebrate a greater deliverance, an ultimate deliverance, a greater rescue than even the plagues of Egypt represented. We can celebrate our ultimate deliverance from the wrath of God the just judgments of God upon me and you for our sins, we can celebrate it that we have been such a precious word. Jim read it to us early. Forgiven of all of our sins. We must continue to remember that. We must continue to tell that story, if you will, to Others, that this distinction that through faith in Christ and what He has done is the only safe place, the ultimate deliverance. When we get to the end of the Bible, mysterious as many of those images are, when you get to chapter, I believe it's 14. In Revelation, there's a dream or vision that John's given of angels pouring out bowls of wrath. And the, the wrath takes the form of the very plagues we read about in Exodus 8 and 9 and 10. A river turned into blood and flies and locusts. And darkness. Friend, if, if, if you're not a Christian, and by that I mean you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ as God's one and only Son, you haven't 
said to him, yes, I agree with you. I humble myself under the word of Moses, if you will. And I put my faith in Christ that he alone can and will save me. I confess to you my sins and I receive his forgiveness today. Friends, if you haven't, I appeal to you to turn away from Pharaoh-like pride and independence and make the Exodus story the story of your deliverance today. But for the Christian, the gospel is the story of our rescue, all because of Christ. Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension is the story of our deliverance from sin, captivity, slavery, all because of Christ. And so we need to ask again, do the annoyances and humiliations and humblings that our gracious God has brought into our life, Am I humbling myself beneath them and finding in Christ sufficiency my hope and deliverance? Or am I clinging to the idols of my heart? You have a choice too. This is the finger of God as the magicians recognized. May God give us the grace to turn and repent Believe and receive, and most importantly, rejoice that the Lord, the God of Israelites, is supreme, and he alone can save. He does save. Let's pray. Lord, we read the pages of Exodus because we believe here and throughout Scripture, you are the God who makes himself known, both in sacred texts and in our daily lives. And so we pray, Lord, as we work our way through Exodus, that you would continue to remind us of the good news of Christ. And through these ancient texts, Lord, bring us to a a place of both humble recognition of where our hope or our faith or our trust and confidence has has slipped or turned and restore us, Lord, to a place of of hopefulness and trust and dependence in the midst of those annoyances and humiliations and powerless moments that remind us graciously of our need for you again. And I pray, Lord, for my non-Christian friend that more than a story... Today would be a new beginning. And that through a simple prayer, Lord Jesus, you would speak their name into their soul. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Have your full way today, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. And everybody said...